Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks for tuning in and joining the show where we talk to entrepreneurs about the cool things they're doing in their business and the impact that they're making and and why they do the things they do. And we're starting to form a little community. So if you like this show, if you've listened to a few episodes, a couple things I always ask you to do. Number one, go and like it uh, on, on Facebook and join the page we have. We're trying to get more discussion on the public Facebook page. Also, you can go over to iTunes and you can leave a review saying, I really like this show. I'll tell you what, that not only helps the show get found, but it also just makes my day a little brighter when somebody leaves a review. So why not do that for me? And then you can always send me a tweet at Cool Podcast or at Tom Singer. I get a lot of emails from people at Tom at TomSinger.com or Tom at TomSinger.com. And then we also have the Cool Things Project, which is the online group mastermind that came out of the idea of one of the listeners of this show who said, you know, it would be nice because I talk about my mastermind group all the time. They go, it would be nice to have sort of an informal group where there were some people that I could just talk to about what I'm trying to do in my business. So we started this community. And if you're interested in that, you can go over to TomSinger.com, hit the about button. You'll see a click on for the group coaching program, and that'll tell you everything you need to know about the Cool Things Project. So today, we have someone on the show who is somebody who I know from the National Speakers Association. He's another person who has the CSP, which is the Certified Speaking Professional Designation, and that designation is only held by about 700 people in the world. And I will tell you that there are probably 20 or 30,000 people who call themselves professional speakers. Now, Does being a CSP mean that you're a better speaker than everybody else? Well, Mark and I would tell you yes, but the reality is no. I mean, how do you determine that? However, what it does show is that you have a dedication to the industry and a longevity because you have to be in the industry at least five years. You have to be working. You have to earn a certain level. You have to get reviews from like 25 clients who say that, yeah, you're professional to work with. And not only do you have skills on stage, but behind the scenes, you live up to what you're saying you do. And then you have to submit a video, an hour-long unedited video that is reviewed by four people who have that CSP designation. And I'll tell you what, those people don't go light on you. It's you get, you get reviewed. So it's actually a designation that says, you know, you're, you're doing good stuff and you have a dedication to the meetings business and to the speaking industry. And so I love it when I have a chance to have some of those other CSPs here on the show. So Mark Black from Canada, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks, Tom. It's uh, great to join you. Hey, so you're a speaker, but why don't you tell everybody kind of what it is? I mean, because if we, you know, I mean, I interview a lot of people who are speakers and we all do different things. I could have 50 people on the show and we'd have 50 entirely different businesses. So why don't you tell everybody what you speak about and then we'll go into sort of how you got started. Sure. So I speak about resilience and what I mean by that is how do we take the challenging, difficult times that we face, whether that's in business or in life, and use the skills and abilities and mindset that we have and overcome them and hopefully come out better than we were before. So um, I speak mainly at um, association annual conferences, 
uh, AGMs, those kinds of things. And then often I'll get called into a company when things are not going so well to uh, help them kind of reframe the challenge and, and get a new perspective on things and hopefully start moving forward instead of um, sitting in, in uh, discouragement. So Mark, you, you talk on resilience and overcoming tough times, and I've read your bio, so I know growing up, you didn't have sort of a piece of cake, you know, walk in the park childhood. You dealt with some hard times from like birth, right? I did. It's um, strangely one of the, in some ways sounds strange to say, but it's one of the blessings of my life is that I was born with a heart defect. I had open heart surgery when I was a day or two old. Uh, I'm fortunate not to remember the first two years of my life, which were probably some of the hardest. Um, and then I faced a variety of less um, crisis-like situations over the course of the next 20-something years before uh, at 23, I was told that my heart and lungs were failing and that medical interventions uh, had been exhausted and the only option left was a heart-lung transplant. Wow. Yeah. So uh, I, I was in the middle of a degree uh, studying to be a teacher and it was uh, May when kind of things came to a head and so I left it all behind, moved about a thousand miles away to uh, Toronto, which was the closest transplant center that did um, that uh, heart-lung transplant that I needed and uh, I waited there uh, with one of my parents. They alternated back and forth because I have younger siblings at home. And we waited for a year before I, before I, a donor was found. Fortunately, a donor was found in time. And uh, so I received the heart in both new lungs in September of 2002. So you went through college and got your undergrad degree and went back to get a degree to be a teacher. So your plan had been to take sort of a traditional job in education. And then all of a sudden your life got derailed and you found yourself, you know, having to wait for a transplant. And I'm sure, I mean, I would have no point of reference for this, but I'm sure that after a full heart and lung transplant, you don't get up and run a marathon the next day. No, that's absolutely right. It took me five days to get out of bed. It took me uh, 16 days to get out of the hospital, which actually was pretty quick. Um, and then I was very much, it's interesting when you face something that big, um, you, you obviously become pretty unilaterally focused on that one thing. And what's interesting f for me out of that whole experience, one of the interesting things was after it was over, quote unquote, I mean, it's, it's never really over because I take medications for the rest of my life, et cetera. But once the worst of it was done, um, I felt sort of lost because I, I had this sort of singular focus for like, two years of my life. And now all of a sudden, um, the crisis was over, and I had to say, now what? Uh, and the, the transplant doctors were not keen on me teaching because uh, transplant recipients uh, take drugs to suppress our immune system to prevent rejection of the new organs, which leaves us susceptible to infection. And so there are certain places that are best avoided, such as schools. <laughs> places, places where there's young children with drippy noses? Exactly. Exactly. Enclosed areas where there's lots of coughing and sneezing are preferable to avoid. So I thought a career where I was living that day in and day out was probably not wise. So, so let me just and jump I, away. Wait, let me just jump over. So you ended up with a career where you're getting into airplanes and flying yeah. all over North America and the rest of the world to go where there are hundreds, if not thousands of people who are flying to the conference, probably drinking a lot, compromising their own immune system, and then shaking your hand because you delivered the keynote. 
Yeah, it seems very backwards. Yeah, I don't think your doctor. I'm I'm going to call that doctor. I don't think he'd be thrilled right now. <laughs> well, that doctor knows, so so I can I can rest I can rest assured in that. But you're right. It's, the career I have chosen is not ideal from that perspective either. Um, but what I have also learned through what I've been been through is that um, we only do this thing called life one time, and I felt like I had something that I needed to share with people, and and uh, fortunately things have kind of worked out so to lead me down this path. So I'm, I'm pursuing it. Yeah. Let's talk about how you go from somebody who had a plan to have a traditional education career to becoming an entrepreneur. And the speaking business is not an easy business. It's not even if you, you know you have some sort of a, of a story to tell, as clearly you do. It's not easy. Like, hey, I had my hearts and lungs transplanted. Bring me to your convention. It's, it's a lot more complicated than that. You're absolutely right. And, and there are I'm sure every entrepreneur has some experience of this, but I think our our industry is particularly um, a, a good example of the fact that there, there's no roadmap, right? There's no... Um Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks for tuning in and joining the show where we talk to entrepreneurs about the cool things they're doing in their business and the impact that they're making and and why they do the things they do. And we're starting to form a little community. So if you like this show, if you've listened to a few episodes, a couple things I always ask you to do. Number one, go and like it uh, on on Facebook and join the page we have. We're trying to get more discussion on the public Facebook page. Also, you can go over to iTunes and you can leave a review saying, I really like this show. I'll tell you what, that not only helps the show get found, but it also just makes my day a little brighter when somebody leaves a review. So why not do that for me? And then you can always send me a tweet at Cool Podcast or at Tom Singer. I get a lot of emails from people at Tom at TomSinger.com or Tom at TomSinger.com. And then we also have the Cool Things Project, which is the online group mastermind that came out of the idea of one of the listeners of this show who said, you know, it would be nice because I talk about my mastermind group all the time. They go, it would be nice to have sort of an informal group where there were some people that I could just talk to about what I'm trying to do in my business. So we started this community. And if you're interested in that, you can go over to TomSinger.com, hit the about button. You'll see a click on for the group coaching program, and that'll tell you everything you need to know about the Cool Things Project. So today, we have someone on the show who is somebody who I know from the National Speakers Association. He's another person who has the CSP, which is the Certified Speaking Professional Designation, and that designation is only held by about 700 people in the world. And I will tell you that there are probably 20 or 30,000 people who call themselves professional speakers. Now, Does being a CSP mean that you're a better speaker than everybody else? Well, Mark and I would tell you yes, but the reality is no. I mean, how do you determine that? However, what it does show is that you have a dedication to the industry and a longevity because you have to be in the industry at least five years. You have to be working. You have to earn a certain level. You have to get reviews from like 25 clients who say that, yeah, you're professional to work with. And not only do you have skills on stage, but behind the scenes, you live up to what you're saying you do. And then you have to submit a video 
an hour-long unedited video that is reviewed by four people who have that CSP designation. And I'll tell you what, those people don't go light on you. It's you get you get reviewed. So it's actually a designation that says, you know, you're, you're doing good stuff and you have a dedication to the meetings business and to the speaking industry. And so I love it when I have a chance to have some of those other CSPs here on the show. So Mark Black from Canada, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks, Tom. It's uh, great to join you. Hey, so you're a speaker, but why don't you tell everybody kind of what it is? I mean, because if we, you know, if, I mean, I interview a lot of people who are speakers and we all do different things. I could have 50 people on the show and we'd have 50 entirely different businesses. So why don't you tell everybody what you speak about and then we'll go into sort of how you got started. Sure. So I speak about resilience and what I mean by that is how do we take the challenging, difficult times that we face, whether that's in business or in life, and use the skills and abilities and mindset that we have and overcome them and hopefully come out better than we were before. So um, I speak mainly at um, association annual conferences, uh, AGMs, those kinds of things. And then often I'll get called into a company when things are not going so well to uh, help them kind of reframe the challenge and, and get a new perspective on things and hopefully start moving forward instead of um, sitting in, in uh, discouragement. So Mark, you, you talk on resilience and overcoming tough times and I've read your bio. So I know growing up, you didn't have sort of a piece of cake, you know, walk in the park childhood. You dealt with some hard times from like birth, right? I did. It's um, strangely one of the, in some ways sounds strange to say, but it's one of the blessings of my life is that I was born with a heart defect. I had open heart surgery when I was a day or two old. Uh, I'm fortunate not to remember the first two years of my life, which were probably some of the hardest. Um, and then I faced a variety of less um, crisis-like situations over the course of the next 20-something years before uh, at 23, I was told that my heart and lungs were failing and that medical interventions uh, had been exhausted and the only option left was a heart-lung transplant. Wow. Yeah. So uh, I, I was in the middle of a degree uh, studying to be a teacher. And it was uh, May when kind of things came to a head. And so I left it all behind, moved about a thousand miles away to uh, Toronto, which was the closest transplant center that did um, that uh, heart lung transplant that I needed. And uh, I waited there uh, with one of my parents. They alternated back and forth because I have younger siblings at home. And we waited for a year before, I, before I, a donor was found. Fortunately, a donor was found in time. And uh, so I received the heart in both new lungs in September of 2002. So you went through college and got your undergrad degree and went back to get a degree to be a teacher. So your plan had been to take sort of a traditional job in education. And then all of a sudden, your life got derailed and you found yourself, you know, having to wait for a transplant. And I'm sure, I mean, I would have no point of reference for this, but I'm sure that after a full heart and lung transplant, you don't get up and run a marathon the next day. No, that's absolutely right. It took me five days to get out of bed. It took me uh, 16 days to get out of the hospital, which actually was pretty quick. Um, and then I was very much, it's interesting, when you face something that big, um, you, you obviously become pretty unilaterally focused on that one thing. And what's interesting f for me out of that whole experience, one of the interesting things was after it was over, quote unquote, I mean, it's, it's never really over because I take medications for the rest of my life, et cetera. But 
once the worst of it was done, um, I felt sort of lost because I, I had this sort of singular focus for uh, two years of my life. And now all of a sudden, um, the crisis was over and I had to say, now what? Uh, and the, the transplant doctors were not keen on me teaching because uh, transplant recipients uh, take drugs to suppress our immune system to prevent rejection of the new organs, which leaves us susceptible to infection. And so there are certain places that are best avoided, such as schools. Places, <laughs> places where there's young children with drippy noses? Exactly. Enclosed areas where there's lots of coughing and sneezing are preferable to avoid. So I thought a career where I was living that day in and day out was probably not wise. So, so let me just and jump away. Wait, let me just jump over. So you ended up with a career where you're getting into airplanes and flying yeah. all over North America and the rest of the world to go where there are hundreds, if not thousands of people who are flying to the conference, probably drinking a lot, compromising their own immune system, and then shaking your hand because you delivered the keynote. Yeah, it seems very backwards. Yeah, I don't it? think and, your doctor. I'm I'm going to call that doctor. I don't think he'd be thrilled right now. <laughs> well, that doctor knows, so so I can I can rest I can rest assured in that. But you're right. It's, uh, the career I have chosen is not ideal from that perspective either. Um, but what I have also learned through what I've been been through is that um, we only do this thing called life one time, and I felt like I had something that I needed to share with people, and and uh, fortunately things have kind of worked out so to lead me down this path so I'm, I'm pursuing it I guess. let's talk about how you go from somebody who had a plan to have a traditional education career to becoming an entrepreneur and the speaking business is not an easy business it's not even if you, you know you have some sort of a of a story to tell as clearly you do it's not easy like hey i had my hearts and lungs transplanted bring me to your convention it's, it's a lot more complicated than that you're absolutely right and and there are yeah. I'm sure every entrepreneur has some experience of this, but I think our our industry is particularly um, a, a good example of the fact that there, there's no roadmap, right? There's no, um, you can look at what other people have done, but as you said in the introduction, you talk to 50 speakers about how they became speakers and you'll hear 50 stories. And so it's not like you do this, then you do this, then you do this. Um, I backed into speaking very accidentally. I was asked to speak at a high school graduation. Uh, and afterwards, a, a parent of one of the graduates asked me for my business card because he thought I was a speaker. And I said, oh, you mean you people get paid to do what I just did? <laughs> <laughs> so, so it is interesting. That's one thing I love about this industry and really all industries. When I ask people what led you to where you are, there's always different paths. But our industry, it's always kind of funny when people make that realization where you're like, what? You mean I could get paid for that? What similar type thing happened to me is I was the marketing director for a law firm and they started me have, having – to do internal training classes. And the lawyers actually, I thought they were going to hate it and they were going to fire me. And they liked it so much. Some of the lawyers started giving me to their clients, like when they'd have a team meeting or a user's conference. Like I have a unique niche speaking at user's conferences for tech companies and others. And it sort of came out of the fact that I was being given as a freebie to the clients of the law firm. And some of the partners would be like, oh, our marketing guy has this great speech about how to get people more connected. You really hear, we'll, we'll fly him to your meeting and you can have him for the day. And I was at a meeting and someone came up to me and says, why do you do this? And I literally was, thought it was an insult. Like, you're not that good. <laughs> and, and he said, oh, you don't understand. He goes, my question is, there were two keynotes this morning. We paid the other guy $7,500. And he goes, <laughs> and, and this guy looks at me and he goes, my assumption is, that's two weeks' salary for you, which was just about right. 
And he said, why don't you do what he does? Because you were better. And I was like, you can do that? So, <laughs> so I totally get your story about the, at the graduation going, wait, I was just doing that to help the kids. You could do this for a living? Yeah, absolutely. And then, as you know, it's still a long jump to go from, oh, okay, <laughs> that's, like, that's interesting, to now I want to do it intentionally. That's a whole other yeah, you know, and then, of fish. And then it's a whole other journey to actually getting paid regularly. Exactly. So what led you then down to this path? So you, you, you gave the speech and somebody said, hey, you could do this. How did this become your career? Uh, shortly after that, I started to you know, consider that as an option. I think that was the first thing. I just know oh, now it's a, it's a, it's a possibility. Uh, I had already considered the idea that I was going to go to schools and talk to, to students about my experience because I thought I'd learned some life lessons that would be applicable to them. And my background was in education, so it seemed like a logical fit. And then when I had this realization that maybe I could get paid while I was doing it, I thought, well, gee, you know, maybe I could make doing that my whole career. And so I actually got started speaking in schools. And I spoke uh, to, you know, as, as I think we all do, I spoke to anywhere where they would listen and write me any kind of check <laughs> and, um, and was able to, you know, um, see the impact. What's nice about speaking to students, especially teenagers, is that they're in an emotional point in their life and the hormones are flowing such that uh, you get immediate feedback from people. There's no uh, need to be polite on their part. There's no need to be anything but brutally honest, which both helps you get better uh, and also gives you that immediate gratification when some kid comes up and says, you know, you changed my life or something, which, uh, you know, on the one hand is very nice to hear. And on the other hand, I know is more a, a, a reflection of where they are in their life than it is what I just spoke about. But um, that's that, once I did that a couple of times, I was hooked. So where was the sort of pivot moment from, oh, I'm going and sharing my story with high schools and, you know, they'll, they'll give me five bucks and a rubber chicken lunch to where it became the business that you have today? That's a great question. I don't know that I have a particular moment. There were a series of several points where I would cross paths at events with people who were much more successful, had been doing it much longer. And, and I, if I did anything right, I was smart enough to realize I better learn as much from these people as I can every time I cross paths with them. And so there were a couple times along the path where I was speaking to youth, where there would be somebody else at this conference who was, um, you know, doing some youth stuff, but also doing stuff in, in other markets. And, you know, they were almost always kind enough to sit down and share some advice with me and uh, help me to understand that, I, you know, I needed a website and I needed a video and I needed to market myself and I needed to learn how to sell. And, uh, so while all of that was happening, I was still working as a substitute teacher part-time to kind of provide some sort of steady income to uh, my then fiance and I as I started this thing called speaking. And then about three years into that, I turned to my wife one day and said, you know, are you ready for me to, <laughs> to leave all sense of security behind and try and do this full time? And I'm just blessed with a spouse who's incredibly encouraging and, and say, yeah, dear, if you think this is what you need to do, then go do it and we'll figure out a way make it work and that's uh that was it from there on it was just a matter of trying to make it work and uh as you know there have been uh there have been years where it worked really well and there were other years where it was quite challenging and and quite concerning when we looked at the bills at the end of the month sometimes but overall it's been a it's been a, a progressive journey in the right direction so, you know, you talked about the fact that there were some other speakers along the way who would be at the same events you were at or who, who'd cross their paths. And I think that, you know, in every industry, people really do want to help. And, and sometimes speakers go, oh, our industry is so much, you know, people are so giving. I think all industries people are. So how important is networking for somebody who wants to launch their own venture? 
I think it's invaluable, right? I mean, what better way to figure out how to do what you want to do than to find somebody else who's already done it, even if they haven't done exactly the same thing. Uh, you know, I tell students all the time who are looking at what they're going to do for the rest of their life, and I say, go find people who are doing what you think you want to do and, and talk to them and find out if it's really what you think it is and find out if it's really uh, what you want to do and then learn how they did it because, you know, it's, you can certainly go and figure it out all on your own. I certainly did that for a few years, um, but it's a lot quicker and more cost effective if you find some people that have already done it and ask them what to do. So I really I recently spoke for the Young Professionals Group for a, uh, an association in the concrete and asphalt and gravel industry, and they have a conference specifically for those who are I think it was under thirty five years old, and which I really admired that, that they did that, and I also loved the fact to see, and they had hundreds of people there that in this you know industry in the construction space there was hundreds of young professionals showing up to build relationships with each other and get to know people. And, and they did work for competitive companies in some sense and in some sense for comp- companies that were complementary. But they were all there. And many of the people, it was their third, fourth, and fifth year attending. And so I always, you know, there's a lot of talk out there that, oh, associations are dying. The next generation doesn't care. You know, grandpa belonged to a trade association. And I actually am seeing the opposite. I'm finding the most aggressive young millennials who who want to climb the ladder are saying, hmm, how do I get involved with something where I can, you know, not only meet people who can help me, but where I can learn and I can be exposed to other aggressive people in my industry. So how long did it take you to realize that there was the National Speakers Association and and, and CAPS, the Canadian uh, what does CAP stand for? I'm sorry. Canadian Association of Professional Speakers. We Thank just you. do it backwards. Yeah, I was just going to say, I was going to mess it up if I tried. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure that, that you know all the Canadian speakers will want to listen to this because you're the guest, and now I'm going to be the guy who couldn't remember what CAP stood for. Yeah, I'll, hear about, I'll hear about that later. But the good news is, Canadians are also nice. No one's going to give me a hard time. That's true. Well, we like to give people a hard time, but in as nice a way as we can. <laughs> um, I'm, from the south. I'm from the South. We'd just say, bless his heart. Right. <laughs> uh, well, I was stubborn. So I, I was told about CAPS uh, multiple times before I would finally succumb to, to joining. And uh, my chapter is about a two and a half hour drive away. So it was, you know, there was that obstacle as well. Um, but it, it was one of those things where once I plugged in, really for me, it was convention. When I went to my first national convention, and had three days of people just pouring into my business and my life and learning so much, I knew that, that this was the place I had to be. Not only because of all of the learning that you do, but also just the camaraderie and being able to associate with people who get you, you know, people who do what we do and understand what it's like to do it. And I'm a real proponent of associations, no matter what industry it is. And my joke always is, is that if I was a locksmith, I would be an active member of the National Locksmiths Association. And yet I get pushback from people in all types of industries as to why they don't go to whatever their trade association is. But I get that. And some of they're like, well, Tom, you don't understand my industry. My association's not as good as yours and blah, blah, blah. But I get the exact same percentage of pushback from speakers who, like you, said, oh, I was stubborn, you know, who say, oh, I'm going to, I don't need that. Or, or they, their mentor, they met somebody who was famous who said, oh, you don't need to go to that. And it's like, 
Well, yeah, the famous person doesn't need to go. That's an entirely different business if you're famous. <laughs> That's you know, who told you not to go? Someone who, you know, built their business from the ground up piece by piece and, you know, things like that, or somebody who fell into it because they were famous for something. And usually they're, they're like, oh, well, I, none, none of the famous people, Tony Robbins doesn't go to the National Speakers Association. Well, of course not. But, <laughs> but your business, you're not going to, no one's going to be looking to hire you or Tony Robbins. It's not the same business. I always say that Colin Powell and Hillary Clinton are not my competitors because people who have $200,000 to pay the speaker aren't going, let's see, should we hire Hillary or should we hire Tom? <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's apples and oranges, right? And then the learning that you get from an association, and to your point, I think that's absolutely true. Professional associations of all sorts. Uh, you get industry-specific learning. And you get to spend time with people who live your work life every day. And so they understand the challenges and the struggles that you live in your industry better than anybody else. We all go home to spouses who, um, or partners or, or families who want to support us, but to some degree just can't support us the same way as a colleague can because you know, I can explain to my in-laws all day long that I get paid to talk on the stage, but they still don't really get it. <laughs> so, so I have a mastermind group with uh, three other speakers who I met through the National Speakers Association, and we have all become like each other's board of directors for our businesses. And you know, some of them are pretty well-known up-and-comers here in our industry. And you know, people ask, "Well, how did you put that together? Or why did you put that together?" And it's exactly the reason that. You have to be around people who understand what it is you do. And when you do something that people don't understand, the more you talk about it, the more you get those looks that are like, huh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Mark, so Mark, you were going to go pursue a, you know, a career as a teacher. And now that you've been doing this for as long as you have, what do you absolutely love about the life of an entrepreneur? Uh, I love the flexibility that it offers. Um, you know, the fact that I get to pick up my kids after school when I'm home, um, the fact that uh, on a day like yesterday where the, the flu was running rampant through our house that I don't have to, you know, freak out about taking a day off or using a sick day or whatever. Um, so that, that part of it is extremely valuable to me. And, and the fact that you can kind of build the business around the life you want to lead. So I have, as I'm sure you do, colleagues who spend 200 days a year on the road and they love that because they love to travel and they, and they love to speak, and so that's great. And then I have others like me who have a young family at home, and I'd much rather be here uh, when I can be. And so that means I structure my business in a way that uh, I'm on the road a lot less, and it might mean that I'm not quite as financially successful as a colleague is, and that's quite all right. Well, and that is that is very true is that, you know, I, I look at some of these people who how much they travel and I go, whoo, I couldn't do that. But I, I still have kids at home, although they're not young kids. But, you know, my daughter last year, I was the uh, the the on camera host for the simulcast for the National Speakers Association conference. So people who couldn't attend could attend the hybrid meeting. So there was broadcasts of the keynotes and some of the breakouts. And then during the actual lunches and breaks, myself and another person served as sort of the Today Show host. So it was like Matt and Savannah interviewing people around the, around the conference. And at one point, we didn't have a guest and we had like 10 more minutes. And I saw my daughter who is a youth leader in the, the youth program for the National Speakers Association. She was walking by the lobby and I called her over and I put her on camera and I said, so, you know, let's talk about what it is to be the kid of a professional speaker. And I sort of put her on the spot and interviewed her. And I said, what's that like? And first words out of her mouth was, 
well, you travel a lot. And I thought, oh, my God, we're broadcasting and I'm going to get thrown <laughs> under the bus. And then she smiled and she said, but you know what? When you're home, you're home. You could drive me to school. You could, you know, if I forgot my lunch, you could bring it to campus. You know, you were able to make my tennis games where a lot of my friends whose parents had regular jobs, they never could do any of that because they were working 50 hours a week and there wasn't any flexibility. So when I was gone, I was gone. But when I was home, I was really home and able able to be sort of more involved with stuff. So, you know, that kind of made me realize that, you know, she had noticed that that was kind of a nice trade-off for the the amount of time I did spend away. Yeah, that's that's a rewarding thing to hear. And that's what I that's what we're hoping to achieve as well. So, is there any time that you look at being an entrepreneur and you think, "Wow, you know, if I had been like a a middle school teacher, this would just be a lot more easy." Uh yeah, absolutely. When when the economy dipped, um, and you know, my speaking business dipped as well. And I've had a year, uh, another year, a couple of years ago that was very much like that, where all of a sudden it's like things dropped 30% and I don't, can't figure out why. And I, I, and, um, you know, that's not a concern when you've got a biweekly paycheck coming in, you don't have to worry about that stuff. Um, so that, that certainty or lack thereof is something that sometimes, uh, is a struggle. I'm fortunate that my wife uh, has a job that provides me with, a health plan, but if I didn't have that, that would be a huge issue for me as an entrepreneur with with my health issues. So, I mean, there are, for every benefit, there's a trade off, and it's a question of is it worth it for me? It's it's more than worth it. So, what advice do you have for somebody who wants to strike out on their own as either an entrepreneur or a solopreneur, or or maybe even just a side venture? What 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 advice do you have? Well, I think you led to it with that last with that last option, which is I would start it on the side. I started speaking while I was still teaching. Uh, and I taught as a substitute while I continued to book speaking gigs for three years. And what that did is it allowed me some level of stability while I embarked on this completely instable um, venture called professional speaking. And it doesn't matter whether you're a speaker or you're an electrician or you're you know opening a store, you're going to have a lot of uh, financial as well as schedule instability. And so if there are ways to establish the business while you do something else and so that you know that uh, when you get started, you have something to jump to. One of, my, one of the favorite analogies I heard from another speaker, I wish I could quote him, um, said, you know, pull the, pull the boat up as close to the dock as you can before you jump. And it's what I see a lot of people who want to be entrepreneurs do is they're still way out in the lake when they jump and then they hope they can swim to the dock. Um, <laughs> And it just it just makes life a whole lot easier if you pull the dock up, if you pull the boat up closer first. So, and that was me. My plan was to spend a couple of years putting away a lot of money so that I would have a big cushion when I made this leap. I knew this was what I wanted to do, but I figured it was two or three years away. And in 2009, at the bottom, April 1st, 2009, which arguably is the worst time of the recession, I got laid off in a mass corporate oh. riff. And I had like two or three months worth of money and I wanted two or three years worth of money. And there was no life preserver. I was pushed out into the lake, but there was no other boat. And so Mm -hmm. I had to swim for shore. And I will tell you what, my advice always is to have like three years of income put away because it would have made made life a lot uh, more comfortable for my wife and kids who didn't necessarily sign up to be entrepreneurs. Yeah, I love love that you say that because I hear other people um, who remain nameless, some, some big experts out there who talk about you know, if you, if you really want it, you'll make it happen. And, and if, you, if the dock is a long way away, then it just forces you to, 
to yeah. grind it out and make it make it work. Yeah, I made um, it. I made it work, but I don't know that that's my advice. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's. I mean, that's cute if you're a 20 year old single person. That's one thing. But when you've got a family to feed, I think it's the. It's kind of selfish to just decide you're going to jump because that's what you want to do. Right. No, I, I absolutely agree. Hey, Mark, I've got a couple more questions for you, but first, I've got to thank our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like Mark Black. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and see the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So... I call the show, Mark, I call it Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What is the coolest thing you're doing in your business right now? Uh, wow, good question. I guess one of the things I'm excited about is we're, we're starting to, to work on partnering uh, between associations who are holding a meeting in a particular city and the local schools in that city around that meeting so that I can, if you book me to come and speak at your you know, AGM, I'm going to go and speak at these schools and you're going to throw a couple of bucks in there to sponsor that. And I'm going to throw a couple of bucks in there so that we lower the fee and, and everybody wins. And, um, and I'm pretty excited about that. But I also have to share another thing that is not mine at all, but I get to participate in and I just think it's brilliant and everybody should be doing it. A local entrepreneur in my hometown in little old Moncton, New Brunswick decided that, um, health and fitness was a big thing for all of us and that often entrepreneurs ignore it. Um, because we're too busy working on our businesses. And so he invited about 30 of us local entrepreneurs in his hometown to a gym that he works out at and organized it with the gym owners. And we did a, a workout and then a lunch with about 30 entrepreneurs. We all just showed up. They took us through this basic workout. And then uh, we had some lunch and some chat about our different businesses. And it was a great way to connect with local businesses and to to encourage people to to be fit at the same time. And it was Everybody is anxious for it to happen again. So I just thought it was a really neat, free idea for people out there who are entrepreneurs and want to connect with other people in their hometown. Well, and, and health's an important, obviously, you know, because of, you know, what you've been through, but health's an important part of it. And if you if your health goes away, being able to run your business is harder. Last year, I had a couple of little things, nothing major. I didn't have anything that was, you know, a huge issue, but I just had a couple of little things. I got vertigo and it took me out of circulation for just a couple of days, but then it kept popping back kind of minorly. And then I just had an, another thing. I got just a sick, I got a bug that was going around, but it took me a long time to shake it. And, you know... Part of it was is I wasn't at my peak health. I might have been the opposite of it. Maybe I was drinking too much. Maybe I was, you know, eating too much sugar. Maybe I had too much weight. And so this year, starting in Lent, I made a commitment that I was going to give up almost all processed sugar. So if it came in a package, I kept it to under 15 grams of sugar a day, which eliminated most packages, as it turns out. Mm, yep. <laughs> yeah, as it turned out, I had no idea how much sugar was in things. I have these power bars I eat because you know what it is. You get on an airplane and you get delayed. You got to have something with you. Well, it turned out I was traveling with a power bar and I was eating them a couple times a week that had 26 grams of sugar. So I had to go find another one that was you know much less, like zero or, or two or three grams of sugar. And the trade-off is it tastes like crap comparatively. The good news is it's got no sugar in it. And then I also gave up pasta and bread. And I've lost almost 20 pounds and have taken up 
trying to train for a half marathon, which is something I've never run more than a half mile in my life, and I hated it if I had to. So uh, all of a sudden, I am in the best shape. I just turned 50. I'm in the best shape I've probably ever been in when it comes to being able to run because I can run four miles now, and that's unheard of in my entire life. And then on top of it, I probably weigh what I weighed when we got married 25 years ago. And, you know, I would definitely weigh less. My daughter was saying, wow, you look so skinny. And I said, you've never seen me this fit in your whole, and she's 20, almost 19, she's 19 years old. So, you know, it's like all of a sudden I'm able because of that to get more done in my business. I'm not being slowed down. I'm not having energy spikes and ups and downs. And so I'm starting to become one of these advocates that if you're an entrepreneur, hey, they're not kidding around about why you need to eat right and exercise because it really does make a difference. And I didn't even know it until a few months ago. Yeah, absolutely. I made that same, that same no bread, no pasta, no processed carbs decision about three or four years ago. And uh, thankfully now with, you know, people with gluten-free folks out there, they're starting to, you know, produce a lot more products that are, you know, that are uh, helpful with that sort of stuff. But it's still, like, ultimately, it just comes down to really basic, you know, let's focus on eating fruits and vegetables and yep. meat and yeah, I've pretty much given up wheat and, you know, like I'll have a still, if I'm having cereal, I'll have Cheerios because it's oats and there's no gluten and it's one gram of sugar in a bowl. So it's like, all right, I'll, I'll have that. If I want, if I want something that's, you know, grain like, it'll be a rice or an oat, uh, uh, base. Yeah, absolutely. And those, like you said, that, that, well, for right now in where I am, it's two thirty in the afternoon, which would be typically when. You know, you're half asleep at your desk, and I just don't have those times anymore, <laughs> right. which is wonderful. Exactly. So, Mark, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, and I love to ask people, who's an entrepreneur who you watch, who you say, wow, that person's doing something cool? And some people give me their dry cleaner, say, oh, they're just doing amazing things. Some people say Elon Musk. There's no right or wrong answer. Who do you admire? Well, there's an entrepreneur who happens to live down the street from me named Dan Martell, and he happens to be a guy who's built and sold three tech startups in Silicon Valley, uh, but he's from the east coast of Canada, go figure. Um, and he uh, is he's fantastic. Right now, he's, he's, he would say he's in between companies because he just built and sold his last company uh, about a year ago. And he's now getting into the expert space or into our space and starting to produce content and helping people. And um, But what I love about him is that he is all about helping other people find their success too. So I've uh, been to a couple of things where he just invited some people over to his house and said, hey, let's have lunch. And if you have some questions, fire away. He does this really cool thing he calls founders dinners. And so whenever he's traveling, he looks up some people that he knows in the area where he's going and asks them to reach out to the people that they know and says, okay, we're meeting at this restaurant at six o'clock on this day, whoever wants to come show up. And he, you know, posts these pictures on Facebook of 15, 20, 30 people sitting around these tables in these restaurants all over the world, having really cool conversations with people that they didn't previously know. And it just seems like such a, such a neat thing. So I, I'm inspired by that. Well, I, I think that's awesome. And in fact, uh, ask him next time you see him, if he wants to be on cool things, entrepreneurs do. I will. So my final question is, what do you do give, do to give back to the greater good? Because I think that I think great entrepreneurs want to do more to make money. I think they want to leave their mark. Yeah. So I've um, I made a commitment a couple of years ago uh, that I was going to give a percentage of of all of my income to to causes that I felt were worthy, um, and that may be um, a particular a particular uh, effort at a particular moment. If uh, you know Red Cross is doing something because of a natural disaster, then it may be that, but it also may be a local organization that's doing some great good. We have a, a new 
shelter that just opened up in our town not too long ago and they're doing some amazing work. Uh, and so that, that gives me a sense of gratification of hope, hopefully knowing that, um, you know, the work that I'm doing is also indirectly helping others. And then I hope that the, the message that I share in the actual work that I do is inspiring, um, you know, the next great entrepreneur, the next great founder of a nonprofit out there who might be in the audience to go and do their thing. And their, you know, the ripple effect can be pretty, pretty amazing. Yep. No, I, I, I absolutely agree. And I love the fact that you've made that commitment. I did that when I started this business eight, almost nine years ago when I was still doing it part-time, that a small percentage of every speaking fee goes to two funds, one at Children's Hospital in Austin and the other at Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego. So the Rady Children's Hospital and the Dell Children's Medical Foundation. Uh, I give small percentage every time I get paid to these two funds for cranial facial research because my daughter – uh, my youngest daughter had had her skull rebuilt when she was a child because she was wow. born, she was born with an issue that caused the bones in her head to fuse together, and we were really fortunate. We got connected with great doctors, and they had to remove the bones in her head, which was pretty scary, but uh, it all worked out great. And now she's fourteen, and she's a straight A student, and she's off to high school, and she's brilliant. The bones in her head grew back. Uh, I always make the joke: you can walk up and knock on her head. And I tell people, don't, but but <laughs> but you could, That's and. You know, but we have given now just this little percent of every speaking fee for eight or nine years, and it's over fifty or sixty thousand dollars between the two hospitals. And I don't come right. from a family who has their name on the wall of a hospital, but right. by doing it small with every, you know, I'm grateful every time I get a gig, a little bit of it goes to this cause, and I call it compounded generosity. And it's like the magic of compounded interest back when there used to be interest rates higher than like a half a percent was, you know, if you constantly put a little bit of money away throughout your life, the, the compounded interest would make it grow and grow and you'd retire with a lot of money. And the same thing is true about your generosity. You just have to do little things. It doesn't have to be, you know, Bill Gates giving billions of dollars. It, you know, regular people like you and I can do little things over a lifetime that suddenly you turn around and you go, how did I do that? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see the research or the some somebody with better math skills than me do the math. But if we were all giving even two to five percent, let right, alone ten percent, yeah, two to five is would, all I do. It would be it would be uh, amazing the good work that could be done. Yeah, and it's you know, and we've we've done it where we've just picked one cause, but you know, you can you can do it around, and you can pick one, you can do it however you want. But I think it creates a good habit of giving. And when I get the chance to speak to millennial groups, that's one of the things I talk about: is you don't have to be rich to make a difference. You just have to have a commitment to consistently doing something. It doesn't have to be money. It can be time. It can be support. You know, there's a lot of volunteer work that's needed for these charities. And if you just make it part of your life. It'll always be part of your life, and if you become rich, it'll be easy to write the billion-dollar check. Yeah, it's interesting. I had a similar conversation with Dan, the entrepreneur I just mentioned to you, who I definitely will tell you tell about the show. Um, and I was struggling because my business was actually doing well, and I was saying, I'm feeling kind of guilty. <laughs> I don't know why, but I'm feeling guilty because things are going well, and I'm making more money than I used to make, and, and I feel weird about it. And he said, you know, I know this guy's a multimillionaire, and I said, how do you, like, well, how do you deal with that? And he said... I just made this commitment that I was going to give a percentage of everything I made every single, you know, every single time for the rest of my life. And he said that way, when the times were tough, it was hard to do that. Yep. Um, but he said I trained that muscle so that, you know, when that percentage went from, you know, 20 bucks to 20,000 bucks, it's a lot easier to write that check because it's already something I'm used to doing. That's exactly, that's exactly what I believe. Hey, Mark Black, thank you so much for being a guest on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. If people want to find you, uh, you know, how, how do they find Mark Black? 
Well, uh, you can go to markblack.ca. That's my website. You'll find all the links for social media and everything there. Uh, and if it's all right with you, Tom, I just give everybody the option. If they want to go to markblack.ca slash free book, I wrote a book uh, almost 10 years ago now. I can't believe it's been that long. Um, about uh, Not really about my story, about what I learned from my story. So it's 52 little lessons. Um, and uh, that, that's a book that I usually sell for 20 bucks, but I'm giving them away now because I just think that's the right thing to do. So uh, markblack.ca slash free book. If you want to download awesome. a copy of the book, go and do that. Awesome. So markblack.ca, which is the Canad- Canadian... Canadian.com, yeah. Yeah, yeah. markblack.ca slash free book. Go check that out. So again, thank you for being on the show and thank you to everybody who listens. You know, I say it time and time again, if it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. So keep tuning in each week because we'll keep interviewing cool people like Mark Black. We'll be back in a couple of days with a brand new interview. But in the meantime, you go out there, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.